Why is the world so messed up? I think that we have heard and maybe some of us have stated possible answers to that question. Here's some, some of us we say, well, it's our politicians. That is what is wrong with the world. No, maybe some others say it's corrupt people or it's our spouses who don't care or listen. No, maybe others say it's COVID. No, it's our job, it's our families. It's divorce, it's betrayal, it's failure, it's the insecurities, it's the violence in the world, you name it. But you see, none of those reasons really provide an adequate answer according to a Christian mindset. Now, obviously, there are, some, there are things and events that are devastating and terrible that happen in our world, and they do cause immense suffering in our lives and in the lives of others. But these are signs to us of a world gone wrong. They don't answer the question of why. As many of you know, Father Matthias and I were doing a four-week preaching series on the Kerygma, talking about our Christian story. And using the framework of Acts 29, led by Father John Ricardo, so you know we're dividing into that story into four parts, created, captured, rescued, and response. Last week, Father Matthias covered the first part and explained about how good, how God created the world as so good, us as good how he created us out of love and how that creation is so different, right, than how any of anyone else in the ancient world uh, saw and viewed God. But for this week, we're answering, we're looking at the question of if God created the world so good, then why is everything so obviously messed up? Now, in order to answer that question, we have to take a look at two things. One, who the enemy is and two, the consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve. So first, who the real enemy is. For many of us, we already know the answer already, that the real enemy is Satan, otherwise known as the devil. But I think for others, it's important to state this truth, because if the enemy is the enemy, the ancient enemy, the ancient serpent of human nature, against human nature, if Satan's the enemy, that means that no other human person is. Let me say that again. If the enemy is the enemy, then no other human person is. And also, if we focus mainly on the physical problems and physical causes that contribute to the evil and suffering in our world, without paying attention to the underlying spiritual realities, then we have already fallen into the devil's trap. So the enemy is the devil. According to the Catechism, Satan was created first as a good angel made by God. And I think this is important to state for several reasons. One, to remember right away that Satan is not a rival to God. He is a creature. I know many of the modern movies in our day tend to depict the battle and the forces between good and evil as being equal in power and equal in strength. And I think, think of just example, the Marvel superhero movies, where even at times the villain seems to be more powerful than the good guys. That is not the case with the devil. There is only one God and Satan is not him. However, that said, he is not a creature to be taken lightly in any respect. As an angel originally made good, he is ascribed, right? He was ascribed the place closest to God's throne. In other words, this is an amazingly mighty creature beyond anything you and I can ever imagine. 
And since the Catechism teaches us that Satan and his followers became evil by their own doing, we are not to have anything to do with him. St. Pope John Paul II once said, have nothing to do with the dragon. We also hear in the word of God, your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Question, when any of you walk into an enclosure knowing with a lion, knowing full well the lion was hungry and actively searching for someone to eat? No, I don't think any of us would. And so none of us should have anything to do with a dragon, because a dragon only devours. Why, is, why else is it important to identify the enemy? Because the enemy wants to get us to think that he doesn't exist. And also to think that he is more powerful than he is. So he does exist. Jesus himself testifies that the devil is the ruler of the world, of this world. And he is a powerful creature. But compared to God, he is nothing. There are several more, more things to understand about the enemy in order to understand our current state of affairs. One is his re reason for rebelling. So in the book of wisdom, it says, through the envy of the devil, death entered the world and those who are in his possession experience it. Who on earth is the devil envious of? The devil who was created uh, originally as uh, this angel so majestic who was ascribed this closest place in the throne of heaven. Who on earth can this creature be envious of? The answer is, it's you and I. It's us. And this is key. See, knowing that changes everything. The devil is envious of us because of the good and blessed plan that God has for us as human beings. That even though as human beings we are created, we are lower in majesty than the angels. Yet God created us as a plan for us to share in his blessed life. He's called us to become like God, to be divinized. And once we are divinized, the angels can't touch us in terms of majesty. St. Paul also says in the Corinthians, letter of the Corinthians, did he not know that you are to judge angels? And so therefore, out of pride and envy, the devil and his followers rebelled. And therein lies the enemy's desire to enslave those whom he was meant to serve. Now you and I know, and certainly Satan knows, that he cannot touch God because God is God and Satan is not. So in response, Satan goes to war against the creature God loves the most, and that is you and I. And his game plan for your life, for my life, for every human being is this, slavery and degradation. And his root strategy, strategy in order to enslave us and to degrade us is simple. He wants to convince us that God is not our loving father and that we can be happy apart from God. And if we look to scripture, we can see this strategy of the devil play out. And as we turn back to Genesis, we see how God, and remember in Genesis, this is inspired poetry, uh, speaking to us real theological truths. We see how God commands Adam and Eve that they, should, that they can eat of any of the trees in the garden. In other words, 
God provided for Adam and Eve in plenty. They lived in abundance. Adam and Eve knew nothing but perfection for them. And there was no sickness. There was no pain, no death. In other words, they lacked for nothing. They wanted for nothing. There was only one tree from which God commanded that they should not eat of. And that was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And why was that? It's because God didn't want them to die. Let me explain. When you eat something, it's just like a simplified way of the process. When you eat something, you take it in, you digest it, you break it down, your body incorporates it, and it makes it your own. And so when it says eating from the knowledge of good and evil, what it's saying is you make for yourself the capacity to determine what is good and what is evil. And we can't do that because only God can do that. And so by eating of this fruit, you are making yourself to be God. And the necessary consequence of that is to cut yourself off from God because you don't need him. And since God is life, and you cut yourself off from the source of life, that means then that you die. So God did not want Adam and Eve to die. And essentially, what he was saying to them in the garden, that if you want to have life in abundance, you have to trust me. So what did the evil one do? He made them doubt God's goodness. He made them doubt that God was a loving father. St. John Paul II writes this about the devil. God the creator is placed in a state of suspicion, indeed of accusation in the mind of the creature. He seeks to falsify good itself. For in spite of all the witness of creation, the spirit of darkness is capable of showing God as an enemy of man. Man is challenged to become the adversary of God. And the Holy Father continues saying essentially, if the evil one was able to do that with Adam and Eve, who knew nothing but abundance and perfection, what can he do with someone who has been abused? What can he do with someone whose child has died, whose spouse has died, someone who's being afflicted by cancer? See, the devil capitalizes on all our sufferings, on all our hardships, because his goal is to enslave us and to degrade us and to keep us apart from God, who is our source of life, because he is envious of us. The enemy's root strategy is also to deceive us into believing that we can be happy apart from God. And we see again with Adam and Eve that the devil tempts them by saying virtually, if you eat of this fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, you would be happier than you are now. So just go ahead and eat it. See, he tries to convince us, he tries to convince all of us that we can find happiness apart from God. Maybe some of us are struggling with that lie. Maybe some of us can say, Lord, you are Lord of my life. You are Lord of this part of my life in this area of my heart, but maybe not my finances. Maybe not my sexuality or my time. The truth is, it's only in surrendering our lives to God and being transformed by his love and trusting in him, that alone will bring us perfect happiness. And so with these two strategies of the evil one, right, who wishes to enslave us and degrade us, because he hates us. He will use any tactic he can to destroy our life. He will accuse you. He will lie to you. He will divide us. He will flatter you. 
He will tempt you. He will discourage you. And how much discouragement we can see in our world today. And just like in sports, right, where teams have game films of their opponents to see what they're good at and what they're not good at, to study them well, so the devil has hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years of game film on the human race. He knows us very well. He knows me personally, he, know, I, he has 27 years of game film on me. I just gave away my age, but there it is. He knows what I'm very good at. He knows where I'm strong in. He also knows where I'm weak in. He has many years of game film on us. He has game film on Father Matthias. I think it's about 70 years of game film, I think. That's <laughs> about right. <laughs> Sorry. So. I think so he has, so he has game film about all of us. He has game from all of us personally. So back to our overarching question, where does evil and suffering come from in our world? At its root, it's this creature who has unleashed hell into our world. Now, the next part is what are the consequences of the evil one having unleashed hell into this world, of Adam and Eve being deceived by the devil? See, because of Adam and Eve's free choice to believe Satan's lies, that God is not good and we can be happy apart from him, we are now bound by the powers of death and sin. And as a result, we are separated from God. Now, that reality that we are separated from God is very true. But I remember for me, when I first was hearing that, when I, especially when I was younger, uh, that did not sound very dramatic for me. Father John Ricardo says that when he first heard it when he was young, said it met him with a resounding yawn, right? And I, and I know for me, in some ways, when I hear that, I was tempted to think that, well, apart from God, it doesn't sound too bad. I think I'll be more, perhaps more free to do what I want to do. But you think, and I think in some ways too, we might be thinking that same way, but especially I think it's easy for, especially us as Americans, who have this great value for freedom and this value for rugged individualism, that it's okay, it's not a big deal if we're apart from God. However, there, is no, there are no independent parties in this scenario. In the human stage, stage, if you will, of life, there is God, there is human beings, and there's the devil. And there are no independent, independent parties here at play. Which means, if you are separated from God, it necessarily means you're in the hands of another. Either we live in the freedom of God, or we are enslaved by the evil one who seeks to enslave us, degrade us, and destroy us. In other words, we cannot be apart from the Lord. And so with Adam and Eve, as they were deceived by the devil, they sold us into powers that we cannot compete against. And to sin, the powers of sin and the powers of death. Death is a power that we cannot compete against. Sin is either. And I think it's very easy to prove that. For death, for example, just ask yourself this question. Have you ever buried someone that you love? Because if you haven't, you will. I know personally, my family is a young family, so I haven't experienced a lot of death in my family. But I know it is coming for me. And being a priest, I'm around death a lot. 
whether it's preparing someone for eternal life, whether it's sick college or the hospital or for the funerals I have, the many funerals just in a year and a half as being a priest. And just seeing that, it's very clear to me that no matter what, death is coming. Death is coming for all of us. And there is nothing we can do to stop it. Sin is also a power that we cannot compete against. And again, very easy to prove just by this simple uh, thought. Have you ever done something that you didn't want to do, that you know you shouldn't do, that you hated doing, and yet you did it anyway? I know I'm guilty of that. And see, that is because sin is a power. And we could see it quoted and testified in many parts throughout Scripture. We know that Dr. Hotskon, a Scripture scholar, when he commentates in the letter to the Romans, this is what he says. He says, the controlling metaphor of this, slave, of this section is slavery and freedom. Paul points a black and white picture of the human situation. Either one lives in service to sin and remains in spiritual bondage, or lives in obedience to God and enjoys liberation from sin's captivity. It is a stark either or, no fence sitting, no third option. So because we cannot compete against these powers, we need to be rescued. I know talking about this is not a very cheery subject, but it's important to talk about it because that is the reality, but also because without knowing truly how bad the bad news is, we have no capacity, we can't really know uh, truly how good the good news of Jesus is. Because truly without God, our situation is dire. I think the greatest analogy uh, that we can compare to understand our situation apart from God is that of human trafficking. We are in the hands of another apart from him. We have been enslaved. No one knows where you are and no one is coming to get you. Imagine the desperation of being in such a plighted situation. That is us without God. In other words, we have literally been captured by the enemy and we are in desperate need of rescue. And the good news is, and there is good news, is that God has not left us in this situation. He has done something to rescue us from the enemy who has unleashed hell into our world. And more on that next week.